as this song is saying and as it's, as it's singing out, as we're resounding together, here's my heart, speak what is true. And why is that important? And why is that helpful? Why, why do we need to do that? Why do we need to have our hearts enlightened with this? So many times in this generation, we're all about authenticity. We're all about, I, I, I want to be real. I don't want to be fake. I read an article about this at the Gospel Coalition uh, just posted just this last week. But this is going along with where we, where we feel like the book of James is taking us. That we need to understand something. And that is that so many times we're, we're about, okay, I just want to be authentic with my faith. And so many times that means that I must act in a way that says, this is how I feel. And so if I act in a way that's inconsistent with the way that I feel, then that's hypocrisy. But this author was saying this. He was saying that that's not the definition of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is acting in a way that's inconsistent with the way that you believe. It's acting in a way that's inconsistent with the way that you believe. And if you look at the vast majority of scripture, so many times when we go off on our own tangents and say, this is what I feel. When God's people say, this is how I feel, then I'm, and as a result of that, I'm going to do this. Bad things happen. Bad things happen in our lives. Bad things happen to us. They mislead us. If you treated your marriage as though this is all about feeling, it's all about feeling. And if I, and if I stop feeling like loving, then therefore I should be done with this. Your marriage is going to be over before you know it. As long as you're just saying, I, I'm just going to feel this way, and so therefore I'm going to act this way, that's hypocrisy. When you stood on that stage or in front of that judge or what have you, most of us said, come hell or high water. Maybe you didn't say that. Maybe we should, right? In sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth. I don't know that it rhymes all the time, but it is right now. It doesn't matter what happens. Like, I'm staying with you, but so many times divorces end because I just fell out of love. I don't feel like loving this person anymore. But the thing that we know about life is this, is that really there's nothing valuable that we get out of life that we don't have to work towards. And what are we working towards? We're working towards setting aside the feelings, setting aside the feelings and saying, instead of going with these underlying assumptions of this belief and of these feelings, I am going to take hold of a new set of beliefs, a new set of feelings, and I am going to inform myself. Like, so let's just say that I, that I wanted to restart my modeling career, right? And I, and I, and I just decided that I, I needed to start working out more, or at all, all right? So let, let's just say, okay, that I have two sets of beliefs. I have belief A, which essentially says this, I, I want to start working out. But belief B essentially says this, but I don't want to start working out because that's going to hurt, right? Like belief A says, I need to go to bed early. I need to go to bed early and I need to wake up early, right? But belief B or whatever belief I call this says this. I want to go to bed late and I want to wake up late. But the truth is that how I feel can't dictate what needs to happen if I want this to take place. But so many times within our spiritual life, we do not look at our lives in this way and we say, you know what, as long as I'm feeling this way, then I'm gonna to continue to go along these lines. And why is this? What, 
why do our feelings dictate something? Why, why, why are our feelings dictating what's happening in our lives? I believe what's taking place in this passage in James is something that we, we talked about at Equip just this, this last week, which essentially says that the enemy of observation is familiarity. Like the enemy of observation is familiarity. Like when we think we come to something and we say, you know what, I know, what's, I know what this is, and so therefore uh, I, I don't really look at the underlying beliefs in this. I, I know what this says. We do this with the scriptures all the time. That's the context that this was being said in. That we come to the scriptures and we go, yeah, 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 I've read all that before. I've read all that before. Take for instance, like when my wife was gone just recently. I, uh, you know, I, I'm doing my best. I had psyched myself up. I was like, she's gonna be gone for a couple of days here. I've gotta get ready for this. Uh, and so I'm thinking through my mind, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be ready. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm gonna go to bed at a decent time. I'm gonna make sure that I'm, that I'm up. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna take care of the kids this way. And I'm gonna make lunch like this. And I'm gonna make sure that they have their clothes lined out. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna do all of these things. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna start making them lunch. But I came to this one particular lunchtime and what happened was I was like, I had really forgotten what there was to eat. And so I, uh, I started pulling out bread. I'm going to make him a sandwich. And I see some sandwich meat. And I'm like, do you guys want some mayonnaise on your sandwich? Like, no, we don't want mayonnaise. Like, we want cream cheese. And so I flip open the, you know, the refrigerator door. And look, there's some cream cheese, right? Tin foil wrapper, uh, white inside. And I, you know, I take some out of there and I scoop it big and I just slather it on these pieces they eat the sandwiches I mean they were like the best sandwiches they'd ever had and then a couple days later I come home I actually had to come home my wife calls me at work and she says um did you feed the kids uh, cream cheese sandwiches and I said uh, well, yes I did she said honey we don't have any cream cheese I'm like what are you talking about she says uh we actually have Crisco <laughs> now first of all first of all I I don't know what's up with Crisco making cream cheese style blocks of it. I mean, it's got to be their fault, right? It's not my fault, right? So I made the kids some Crisco sandwiches. And, and, and then to top it all off, my wife asked me, um, did, uh, did you ever change Hudson's underwear? I was like, I put new clothes on him. I didn't know I had to check his underwear as well and, and she uh, she said now these are the same ones that I, he was in when I left <laughs> so many times our, our problems re revolve around thinking that we know all about a, a situation and really that's just creating this familiarity with the situations and we miss something really big we miss something really big cream uh, cream cheese is in a tinfoil package and it's white and actually Crisco is too, right? And so we get messed up in our lives because we misjudge what's happening and it's because we're not really looking at what's taking place. We think that we're familiar with what's happening. Many of us who grew up in the church, if you did, not everybody here did, by the way, but many of us, we grew up in the church and we, and we just think, you know, this is the way that it goes, but the, the truth is, Oftentimes what I'm trying to preach and what I'm tr trying to communicate is that the, our problems revolve around this idea that somehow I think I know when really I don't know. So many of us in here, like if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, the thing that you have to understand is that you, you may think that you know, but you really don't know. 
But we can also uh, look at this from a secular perspective. We can say this, there, there's a lot of things that we think that we know about God or about religion. There's a lot of things that we know. We can prejudge, uh, you know, Christians, or we can prejudge the type of people that we that we hang out with, and we know that that's just stereotyping. And, and whatnot. And the thing that we would find out is that if we spent a little bit more time and a little bit more investigation saying, oh, actually, I don't really know this person, or I don't really know who this God is, and so maybe I should investigate him a little bit. Everyone has to start on that basis to say there's some underpinning within the context of our argument that in many times is false. And many times within the context of our argument that's supporting our belief What's happening is this, is that we never question our beliefs, but we're always questioning someone else's belief. And the reality of what needs to happen is that our own beliefs have to be challenged, and they have to be reconciled, and we have to say, okay, is what I'm standing on really that firm to begin with? And so I think that's what James is going to do for us today. If you want to turn to James uh, chapter 1, well, we talked about this last week. Let me just read the first few verses here. It says, uh, count it all joy, my brothers, verse 2, when you make tr meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now what this is saying here is this, it's saying... That when we come into situations that are difficult, troubles, trials, circumstances, suffering. James is speaking to religious refugees. Think about Syria. Many of the people who are leaving uh, Syria right now, in many cases, are religious refugees because of this. They're not as extreme or they are Christians uh, or what have you as the people who are running Syria at this point, being ISIS and whatever those factions are. So think about these religious refugees, and James is speaking to them, and he's saying this, like, you have got to count it all joy. Now, it sounds absurd on its face, but when you think about what he's saying, he's not saying be joyful over the suffering. He's saying be joyful over what God will do through the suffering. And he's going to say essentially this, you've got to count it all joy. You've got to know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Then you've got to let steadfastness have its full effect. You've got to stay under the trial. You've got to allow yourself to be directed by this and allow God to use this in your life. It doesn't mean that we're masochists and we just love suffering and we're just going to keep doing this and, and keep entering into this. But we're talking about unchangeable circumstances, things that you cannot change, um, at least ethically or morally. And then he says, you need wisdom. In order to get through a trial, you've got to have wisdom. You've got to ask God. You've got to ask God for wisdom. And so many times we walk into these situations and we think, yeah, I know how this goes. Yeah, it's all familiar. I'm just going to act in this way. And our heart is leading us towards something. And it's leading us towards this direction. And oftentimes it's not leading us towards God because our heart is the thing that's going in front of us. And it's the thing that's leading us. But we need God's wisdom. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. And so the question is, if there is a God, let's just say right now that there is God. If there is a God, would you want to know him? Would you want to know him? 
if there really is a God, wouldn't you want him to speak to you? Like, and to make himself known and to hear his wisdom? Because otherwise you're just kind of on your own. If there's an all-knowing God and he knows all things everywhere in all places, wouldn't you want to know what he knows? And that's what this is offering. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Verse 6, though, says this. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now, what's really difficult about that is that if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you read that and you go, you either say, I have no doubts. I, I, I have no doubts. I'm, I'm not a doubtful person. I'm, I've just believed in this all the time. And in that case, I would say this. I'm not sure that you've ever really fully investigated your faith. I don't know that you've really explored all the things that are going on here because there are really great arguments against our faith. And if you don't have doubts, then I'm not sure that you're thinking about this. If you don't have doubts. But in many cases, what's happening is this, is that we look at this and we go, you know, there's hardly anything that I'm sure about. I can't even be sure about the cream cheese in the fridge, right? I can't be sure about that. I can't be sure about anything that's going on in my life. I can't be sure that, that this world will be here tomorrow. People in Syria thought that they were living in relative peace until their government collapsed and all of these other things took place and their world changed. You can't be sure. There's no certainty in this life. Even the decisions that I make, the financial decisions I make, it's, it's done with a degree of certainty, but it's not that there is no doubt there. No doubting? Like you can't have any doubting? Like does that ever happen in our life? I mean, look at people like Abraham, the father of faith. He's in the Faith Hall of Fame, as it's called in Hebrews chapter 11. And it's talking about people who really had great faith, and yet Abraham doubted that God could do something in his life. God said, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And he's like, I'm childless. Are, are you really going to do that? He laughs. He doubts God there. He doubts God so much that he says, you know what? God's not doing this fast enough. And so instead of just sleeping with my wife, hoping that she gets pregnant, his wife says, hey, why don't you take uh, Hagar? Why don't you take my servant? And he's like, okay, that sounds like a good plan. That sounds legitimate, right? But what is this? This is doubting. This is saying, God, you don't know what's best for me. So when we come to James and James says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, what does this mean? If you're going to ask for wisdom, you've got to ask in faith and there can be no doubting whatsoever. And what does that, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, wisdom is the capacity to understand and then act wisely. So we want to understand if, if we're going to get through these trials in a way that God wants us to, if we're going to squeeze everything out of this trial and become steadfast at the end of this, if we're going to remain somebody who is deeply engaged with God and his things, if we're going to do that, we have to have this capacity to understand what God says, to see what God sees, and then to act on that. And faith is similar. Faith essentially says this. Faith says, I believe God so much so that I'm willing to act on 
what he's telling me to do. I'm willing to act on it. In fact, Jesus says this many times um, in Matthew chapter 7, a couple of different times. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what Jesus is saying there, he's saying, not everyone who thinks that they're a Christian, not everyone who thinks that they're with God is going to ultimately be with God, but it's only the people who both have faith and who are willing to act on that. In fact, one of James' main points in the book of James is to say this, that you cannot just say that you have faith. This is the problem for people who are just Sunday Christians. I go to church on Sunday occasionally, and then I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of engaged, but I'm not really. And really, what we're missing is we're missing the scriptures that communicate to us that community is so important in the life of the believer. We're not acting on the faith that we have. When we say, you know what, all of these finances are mine, and I'm not going to help anyone with any other thing. I'm just, I'm, I'm doing this stuff with my, with my, my things. When we say, you know what, I'm not going to listen to God when it comes to my sex life. Right? I'm not going to listen to God with these things. I'm just going to continue to do what I want. Jesus says, people who think that somehow they're in but never act on that faith are not really in. In fact, he says in verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So what, what's this saying? He's saying? He's saying this. He's saying, you've got to act on this. You've got to be someone who builds their house on the rock. What's this mean? It means that your life has got to be built on the things of God. Your life has got to be built on the truths of God. What's he going to go on to say here? He's going to say essentially this. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Beach property is awesome, isn't it? Beach property is fantastic, but sometimes when you think about if you're in a floodplain or if you're next to a river or something like that, like it may not be a great place to be, but so often don't we avoid those types of things? Oh, that only happens every 100 years or something like that. And that would only be if there was a huge tsunami or an earthquake or a, you know, some type of weather event. But we don't listen to the wisdom and say, okay, I'm going to take that wisdom in and then I'm going to build my house on this rock instead of this sand. And so what's happening with our lives when we say, I'm going to go through this trial and I'm just going to depend on myself and I, I'm, I'm just going to get my way through this. What we're doing is this, is that we're building a house on sand. We're building a house on sand. And how do we build houses on sand? It's by having divided loyalties. What doubt really is, is divided loyalties. Because the word for doubt here in, uh, in James, when he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. 
What he's saying is this. He's saying he's using a word called uh, diacro, diapro, uh, diacrino. There we go. Diacrino, which means this: to split. It means to sunder. It means that there's there's two ways that you can go. There's two things that you can you can go towards belief A or you can go towards belief B. There's two ways. It's to split. It's to sunder. And oftentimes, what is taking place? We have these divided allegiances. We have these divided loyalties. And what are these divided loyalties? It's, it's, it's essentially this. Like, I want to stay in my marriage, but I don't feel like it. Like, I, uh, I want to do what's right in this situation, but the truth is, I don't feel like it. There's this difference here between, like, there's faith and acting on it, but then there's this other side, which is, which is essentially doubt, which is essentially saying to God, like, I doubt who you are. I doubt that what you say is true. I doubt that, 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 uh, that you can bring about true happiness in my life because I believe that my feelings are going to be the vehicle that's going to take me towards happiness. I believe that that's what's going to take place. That's what we tell ourselves often. And he says what the result is, is this. He says, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That word is this, di-psychosos, or disychos, which essentially means this, double-souled. There's, there's, there's two souls in us. They're going back and forth. I'm going from my personal feelings, my, my doubts in God, but then there's, there's another part of me that says, but I have faith in God. But there's really another part of me that says, I really doubt God. And I don't really know what to do with that because these are my feelings and I wanna be authentic and so if I act in a way that's inconsistent with the way that I feel, then that's not being authentic. So I'm going to remain in doubt. And my doubts are going, to, are going to keep me here until God makes me feel like this. Until God causes me to feel like something else. But so many times that misleads you. I have seen families broken apart more than you can count. Because of feelings. I just don't feel like I want to do that. I don't feel like I really need to do this. And what happens is you have people who are back and forth and back and forth. This is where this duality comes in. Like I'm this person at church on Sunday, but then I'm this person when I'm at work. And it's essentially this. I'm just going where my heart goes. My heart's over here. And I'm just like, yes, I'm with all these people. And I feel like serving God in this moment. But then I get over here and I'm like, I don't really feel like serving God right now. And I'm just being me. I'm just being authentic. But the truth is that nothing advantageous happens in our lives when we're writing our feelings. And when we're listening to the under, underlying answers that we have. Well, I, this is what I feel like. I don't want to get out of bed early. I don't want to. I don't want to. They go through the pain of work on it. And so what happens is this, is that nothing advantageous happens in our spiritual life because we're riding our feelings. And we're like a wave of the sea. We're sloshing back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And what's taking place is this, is this duality. There's two souls. 
There's two ways that we keep going down. And people look at us and they say, that's hypocrisy. Because their life, what they actually do, does not line up with what they say. And it's because we're writing our feelings. We're writing our feelings. We're writing who we think we are. We think that we are being true to ourselves as long as we do this. And this is what's creating absolute devastation in our families. It's what's creating absolute confusion among people in the church. So what's the answer to this? What's the answer to being blown back and forth by our feelings? This is so critical for our generation. This is so critical for us. When so many times people are saying, just follow your heart. Just do what feels best to you. What, what fills your cup? I heard somebody uh, say recently, what fills your cup? Do that. But that is to miss the reality of scripture. When Jesus says this, when you claim to have faith in me, but then you never respond, you don't really have faith. In fact, in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter four, it says this, now this I say, chapter four, verse 17, now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles, those are people who don't believe, do, in the futility of their minds. What this is saying is that all of us are like this. He's saying we are darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in us due to the hardness of our heart. It says they have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. What he's saying, he's saying this, that we've been darkened in our hearts. Our understanding is, is, is caving in on us. We don't really know. We don't understand when we're not a believer. But here's the thing. When we're believers and we say this, we say, I'm just going to ride my feelings. We're acting like somebody who doesn't really know Jesus. We're acting as someone who's not a believer because we're basically saying, I'm just gonna do whatever I want. I'm gonna do whatever feels good because God wouldn't want me to be unhappy, right? I'm just gonna do whatever I want. And then he says this in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter four, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. What you and I don't realize is that when we say, I'm, I'm just gonna follow my heart, is that the heart is the centerpiece of what's misleading us all the time. We put the subtitle up here, don't follow your heart because of this. Your and I's understanding of the heart, at least today, right here and right now, our understanding is that, is that we should just follow this thing. When I feel this way, then I should act this way. But the scriptures are specifically speaking to. They're specifically speaking to when you follow your heart without wisdom, you are missing Jesus. Because he says... But that is not the way that you learned Christ. You didn't learn Christ this way to just 
follow what you feel? You didn't learn him that way. The way that you learned Christ was through something else. It's to take hold of your desires. It's to get outside of yourself. We said this last week that, that word when it says, count it all joy. We have to take a step back and we have to look at our life. It's almost like we have to have this kind of out-of-body experience and we have to look at the situations in our life. We have to say, what's really taking place here? What's really happening? How do I want to respond? How does God want me to respond? I have to take a step back and say, what, what could God possibly be doing through this circumstance right here and right now? But well, we often don't do that. We associate who I am with how I feel. I am how I feel. It's the sum total of who I am. And I want to say something to you. Your identity is not found in how you feel. Your self-worth is not found in how you feel. The sum total of who you are is not found in your heart. The sum total of who you are, your value, how much you are loved, is deeply rooted in God's creation of you. As he knits you together in your mother's womb, I don't care what's happened in your life. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. If you're writing your feelings, you're allowing some, your heart to tell you where your value is. And how many times do we tell people who are suicidal, no, you're valuable. I love you. I don't want to lose you. You're valuable. You have value. But everyone says that I'm not valuable. But I say that you're valuable. But what if you fail me? Well, what do, what do I have to submit to? What else is there other than me and everybody else? Maybe you are a jerk. Maybe everything else is falling apart. Who can we submit to to say this? To say that you have intrinsic value and you are a valuable person. And you should not take your life. It's because God. God is the one. He's the value giver. He's the one who can speak into your life and he can say, you have value. You are not your feelings. Your feelings cannot dictate what you do. You already know that. You wouldn't go to school. You would never work out. You would never do anything healthy if your feelings were controlling you. Anything of value comes from controlling our feelings and saying, my feelings are not the sum total of what's going on. They're telling me a half-truth or they're telling me a lie. So what needs to take place? What needs to take place in my life? Well, oftentimes, let's just take worship for an example. We come in to a worship service. If you've been in church for any amount of time, we come into a worship service and we're expecting our hearts to be drawn into worship. But that's not the way. Because the heart is deceitful above all else. Because in my natural self, I'm darkened in my understanding. I have a calloused heart. And so therefore, when I come in with my heart and in, in my feelings and I say, I don't really feel like doing this. The thing that I'm doing is I'm entering into the old man, the old self, and I'm just allowing me to control me. I'm writing on my feelings. But the truth that we need is 
that we must drive our hearts to God and not allow our hearts to be driven by feelings. We must drive our hearts to God. When I come to a worship service, I'm not just waiting for something to feel good, but I'm saying this, I'm saying, I want to worship you. My feelings are telling me this, but I have to speak into something else. God, speak what is true into my heart. Why do we raise our hands in worship? Is it because I'm just, I'm ready to take off, I'm ready to start flying? It's a, it's a point of surrender. Speak what is true. I'm opening up my heart. Speak what is true. I have doubts. God, speak what is true. Tell me the way that it really is because my heart is telling me this. My heart is telling me that. My heart is telling me I don't have worth. My heart is telling me that my marriage doesn't need to be anymore. My heart is telling me that I should just spend money on whatever I want to. My heart is telling me that I should eat whatever I want to. God, you speak what is true. You tell me the way that it is. Psalm 42, one of my favorite passages. David is a worshiper and he is in turmoil. He's in the midst of turmoil. This is the same passage where he says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. He's like, I'm, I mean, we, we put that on a mug. We used to sing a really cheesy song that Matt Baldwin, one of our staff guys, really loves. It goes along with this passage. But you know what the part that we miss right after that? He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And then he says in verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? David's saying, I want to come and meet with you, but you just got to know something, God, and that is that I have been depressed. I'm, I'm crying. My tears have been my food. It's just a weird concept, but he's, he's just saying, that's all that I have right now. That's all that I am. When am I going to come to see God? And he's saying, and in my heart, my feelings are saying to me, my tears have been my food day and night. Well, they say to me all the day long, my tears, my feelings, my expressions, my emotions are saying to me, where is your God? Anybody feel that way? My depression is saying to me, where is your God? Where is your God? Where is your God? I'm, I'm in the midst of turmoil right now. Sickness has hit my family. I lost a child. Financial disaster has come on me. My tears have been my food all day long. Where is your God? Where is your God? My feelings are saying this to me. But David says this. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng. He's, he's talking about the group of people. And I would lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. What's he thinking about? 
He's thinking, I remember those days. I remember when I used to be with God's people and there was something amazing about it. And I would lead in this and I was going along with this and I remember what was taking place. And he says, he just begins to speak to himself. He begins to talk to himself. He begins to teach himself. He's not like waiting for his feelings to send him somewhere else. He's saying, my tears are saying, why are you so downcast? And he comes back and he says, why are you cast down, oh my soul? Rather, my tears are saying, where is your God? He then, then begins to teach himself saying, why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, what does that say? If your feelings are running the show, you'll be a wave that's being blown back and forth, back and forth. But if you're somebody who says this, I will no longer be a victim of how I feel. I will not ride those waves any longer. My heart will not be this terrorist in the midst of my life. It will not send me to one side and to the other and to one side and then the other any longer. Why am I cast down? Hope in God. Why am I cast down? Why am I depressed? Hope in God. Why do I feel like ending this? Hope in God. Why do I feel like spending this money? Hope in God. Why do I feel like having sex with whoever? Hope in God. I'm not waiting for my heart to send me in that direction. I'm saying, no, heart, get in that direction. Hey, guess what, heart? You don't rule me. Jesus does. Guess what, feelings? You're not the boss of me, right? You have to get down right there and just say, oh, no, you didn't, right? I, you did not just say that. You have to get outside of yourself and you have to say, listen, self, don't listen to that voice that's driving you over there. You have to get to the driver's seat of that car, which is the heart. It's the mind, it's the will, it's the emotions. It's the center of your life that's telling you what's going on. When you become a Christian, what happens is this is that you're released from obeying that. You no longer have to obey that. You no longer have to be blown back and forth by the wind. You get to say, I am a worshiper. And I am gonna worship in spite of how I feel. I am going to lead my heart to God. I am not waiting for my heart to lead me to God. It doesn't matter that I don't feel like loving him. I will love him. Look at, we'll end with this. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. What's it saying? It's saying, worship him. 
Worship him. Worship him. But I don't feel like worshiping him. My feelings are telling me something else. It doesn't matter. Worship him. But that feels like hypocrisy. No, what's hypocrisy is saying you believe in God and not worshiping him. You and I must lead our hearts. Our doubts have got to be informed by God's wisdom. Faith does not mean the absence of doubt. It means that I'm acting in spite of my doubts. It means that I'm acting in spite of my doubts. And I'm saying, forget you heart. I'm with Jesus. This is what Jesus did on the cross for us. He could have said, this is going to be painful. He could have said, I don't want to go through this. He could have not come at all. He could have any one of those things. But Jesus comes. In spite of maybe how he felt, we know that he went through difficulty. We know that he went through suffering. We know that he was struggling with that. And yet he went anyway. In spite of his feelings. In spite of being rejected in spite of any of those things, Jesus Christ went to the cross. And he said this, I'm going to the cross for you in spite of the fact that you have doubted me thousands upon thousands of times in life. But I don't doubt. You must trust in me. That is the way forward. That is the way forward. You must trust in him as your savior. To put our faith in him. Saying no to the doubts. Driving our feelings towards believing that he is the son of God. And that he went to the cross in my place for my sins as my substitute. Let's pray. Jesus, there's so many of us in here that have been driven by our feelings. We've been driven by our desires to feel better. But we know that our feelings are not always right. Otherwise, we wouldn't get anything done in life. So God, I pray that instead of writing on feelings, I pray that we'd write on the truth of who you are. We've got to ask you for wisdom and not follow the way of doubt, but to follow you and your example to the cross. Lord, I pray so much for that. I pray that we would be people who are willing to sacrifice our feelings for the good of other people in our lives for the good of your kingdom, for our own personal good. Lord Jesus, we pray for this. We pray that you'd speak into our lives, that you would speak into our hearts, that we would drive our hearts to worship you rather than waiting to be driven. We ask you for this this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.